Welcome to the White Coat Life Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Certified Life Coach, Paula White, MD. If you are a physician in academic medicine and tired of feeling run down and powerless from your job, this is the podcast for you. My aim is to give you practical, actionable tips in episodes that are short enough that you can listen during your commute. Hey, thanks for joining me again. Welcome to episode six. Today, we're going to tackle a subject that I know is part of the burnout equation for many doctors, charting. We're going to make the assumption that this is in reference to EMR charting, as I imagine pretty close to all doctors in academic settings are using some sort of EMR by now. If anyone is listening who's still on paper charts, there are some general principles that we'll cover today that can apply either way. Before we dive in, I want to give a shout out to Katrina Ubell's podcast on this topic. I was specifically remembering episode number 91 from a few years ago, but when I Googled it to find the episode number, I was reminded that she actually had an earlier one as well, number 38. I listened to both years ago when they were new and intentionally did not re-listen to them now. So if you hear any overlap, please just go ahead and give all the credit to her. She's an amazing coach and I continually learn from her podcast. Indulge me for a few minutes while I regale you with tales of being a doctor before the EMR. I'm old enough that when I was a resident and in my first year of practice, we used paper charts. Since I'm at a big academic center with lots of satellite offices, in the old days of paper charts, that meant the chart had to be physically collected at the end of each office day and driven by a courier to the medical records home base or to another office if the patient had appointments two days in a row and the system was savvy enough to recognize this in time to make sure the chart was sent from office A to office B for that second appointment. If a patient had appointments at the same office, maybe you'd get it. Maybe you'd have to shuffle over to the other specialty and wait for the doc to come out of an exam room and then wait for them to find it in the pile of charts on their desk and then try your best to get your own charting done promptly and then try and get it back to them so they could finish their charting, all in hopes of having some poor resemblance of an actual record of the patient's health and the care they received. And sometimes, even in a very organized system, a patient would accidentally end up with two or more charts. You'd be seeing the patient for their annual exam and think, this name is familiar. I know I've seen them before. But you'd look through the chart and see nothing in your handwriting. So you'd go in and introduce yourself and find you'd seen the patient three times already. Ouch. And sometimes there were intentionally two charts. Our system had the regular chart, and then the prenatal record was in a special pink chart. Ugh, why did it have to be pink? When the pregnancy was complete, I'm pretty sure they filed the pink chart into the regular chart. I do understand the rationale. Prenatal care requires a lot of visits, and the content isn't necessarily applicable to, say, the orthopod they're seeing for elbow pain. It sounds great, except remember, major academic center... That means most of the patients have other medical conditions, which you might want to review the records for, and their medical subspecialists might want to see your records. Everyone was working in silos. Occasionally, you would get both charts, but it wasn't guaranteed by any means. And again, major academic center, so multiple offices. When you got to the third trimester, it was less and less likely that you'd have the chart in your hands for a visit, considering patients often jumped from site to site. And if someone showed up in L&D at 2 a.m. preterm, you were flying blind. If there was time, we might send someone out to clinic at the main site and see if the chart was there. But more times than not, this would be a wild goose chase. Basically, it was like there was no chart at all. And we haven't even started on the handwriting yet. Good God, the handwriting. My own writing is passable. 
It can be nice at times, a little irregular when I'm tired or I just don't have the energy, but it's almost always legible. And it's definitely legible anytime I was writing something that was intended for someone other than me to read. But I'm by no means the norm because docs who are just trying their best to write down as much pertinent information as possible and as little time as possible, they just didn't have the time to care about penmanship. I worked as a ward clerk for a year between college and med school, and one of my main responsibilities was transcribing handwritten physician orders into the computer. So personally, I'm a whiz at this, but all the old jokes and cartoons about doctors' handwritings, they're not kidding around. Which is all to say that even if you had the chart, it wasn't necessarily of use to you. And the problem list, oh my God. The problem list was a lined sheet of paper at the front of the chart that said problem list at the top. Docs would write in something they felt was pertinent, then cross it off when they felt like it was no longer an active problem. Then someone else might rewrite it a few years later when the old problem flared again. Someone's problem list could span pages, and you had to look at all of them because the active and crossed off items were all interspersed. Plus, not everyone was conscientious enough to read it all, so some docs just added their own content as new items at the end of the list without checking to see if they were on the list already. Really, I could go on and on, and I'm kind of having fun with this, you know, uphill both ways through the snow, uh, but I've gotten a little bit off topic. The point is, yes, I know that EMRs were developed to be billing machines, and yes, I know that charting in the EMR can be a real hassle, but I am telling you, EMRs are freaking godsend compared to how we used to do things. If you told me we had to go back to paper charting, I'm pretty sure that would be a deal breaker for me. Hating on your EMR for most of us in academic medicine is a giant waste of time and mental energy. It's safe to say that EMRs are never going away. You might lobby for a better one if your health system uses one that's clunky and inefficient, and that would be a good use of your time and energy, but not just wishing it would go away completely. An EMR or not, a lot of doctors spend a lot of time engaging in hating charting. I think we all know deep down that that's a waste of time as well, but sometimes we get caught up in it anyway. Let's look at some established facts here. One, there has to be a written record of whatever medical services you are providing. Even if you're not directly providing patient care, like if you're a diagnostic radiologist or maybe a pathologist, you're still reading things. The record has to exist as part of the job. Two, you probably want to continue working as a physician. Well, for the sake of argument here, let's just say you definitely do. Three, therefore, you're going to do the work. So remember back to choices, you don't have to do any of this. You absolutely could decide that charting is something you no longer want to do, and then you could either leave your job or be fired. Every one of us has the power to make that choice. But if you want to continue working as a physician, you're going to do your charting. So, all right then, if we're choosing to do this, it means no one's forcing you to do it, and it's not technically accurate to complain to yourself or anyone else that you have to do your charts. It's just a story you've been telling yourself, and it's a really bad one. That story makes you feel put upon and powerless and probably pretty grouchy. Ask yourself why you're choosing to continue to believe in something that's so bad for you, because you could totally just choose to believe something else. Now, that something else doesn't mean you should try to believe that you love doing it. But how about something neutral? 
I can tell you that you should actually want to do your charting because being behind on charting and doing charting outside of scheduled work hours are both highly correlated with burnout. Now, does that mean that inefficient charting causes burnout or contributes to it? Or is it that inefficient charting is a side effect of burnout? Either one obviously could be true. But efficiency is something concrete and within your control, whereas burnout is big and nebulous. And since we can control efficiency, it just makes sense to go ahead and fix that piece and see if it works for you. So now that you're done thinking that you have to do your charts and you're taking responsibility for the decision to do them, how about thinking of other ways to make it easier for yourself? If you have something you're choosing to do, but it's not really your favorite way of spending your time, how about letting that awesome brain of yours figure out some ways to make it go faster? In the coaching world, if you're getting coached and your coach asks you a question and you respond, I don't know, there's a pretty good chance that the follow-up question you're going to get asked is, but if you did know, what do you think the answer might be? I hate that question, but I have to admit, it always gets me to come up with an answer. Our brains are actually really good at problem solving if we just get out of the way and let them do their work. But if you're looking for some concrete tips, here are some things that work for me. Number one, don't delay things that you hate doing. This applies to just about everything in life, not just charting. If there's something that you hate or dread doing, get it over with as quickly as you can because then you minimize the amount of negative emotion you're exposing yourself to. I put almost all of my dishes and stuff in the dishwasher, but there are a few things that have to be washed by hand, and one of them is straws. So my kids use a couple of straws and leave them on the counter for me to wash because that's the agreement I've made with them. If they agree not to use disposable straws, I will make it worth their while by them knowing they don't have to wash the straws themselves. If I had to guess, I'd say it probably takes me about 30 seconds or less to clean a straw. And probably less than that if there's more than one because when it's a batch job, it goes a little faster per straw. I don't enjoy the task, so sometimes I put it off. So I might spend mm, 10, 20 seconds looking at the straws and deciding whether now's the time or not, and then walk away. Then the next time I'm at the sink, I go through the same thing again, 10 or 20 seconds of standing there not wanting to do it and thinking to myself, ugh, this is a pain. I would say I probably do this about five times before I actually wash the straws. So if you put it all together, I probably have about two to three minutes of negative emotion over the straws when it could have been less than 30 seconds. I've increased the amount of time I had to be annoyed about straws by something like four to six times. Think of that in terms of charts. Every time you look at one that needs to be closed, every time you think about maybe doing it and decide not to, just imagine how much time that adds up to by the end of one workday. Not to mention if you've gotten behind and have more than one day of work to do. So the other reason not to delay, aside from compounding the amount of unpleasantness you are going to experience, is that your recall of the encounter is never going to be as thorough or accurate if you wait. Tip number two, you do not need to write full sentences. You absolutely can document thoroughly and accurately without full sentences. And if you aren't typing full sentences, you can chart during the visit. And you can still be fully engaged with the patient as well. 
if you're going to write full sentences, you kind of have to disengage a little because there's a few seconds with those filler words where you're not listening to the patient, you're not taking down what they're saying, you're just writing in filler. But if you open your visit with explaining to the patient that it's important to you that you get all the details of their concern and you don't forget anything later, so you're going to take notes while they talk, most patients really appreciate that. Tip number three, if you have to type and you don't type fast, learn how. Use your CME time and money to take a typing class. Or if you don't want to type, find out if dictation is an option. Or better yet, a scribe. Scribes cost money, but some employers are willing to invest that if the outcome is better productivity. Even if it doesn't make it that you're so efficient you can see more patients in a day, it might make it so that all of your charts are always closed on time, and that leads to better reimbursement. There's so many creative ways to fix the problem, but continuing to hunt and peck is just plain unnecessary. And if you don't ask for one of these things, the answer is definitely no. And if you do ask, it might be yes. Tip number four, if your EMR has templates, make them work for you. Rebuild them to suit your needs. Invest some upfront time because it will definitely save you time in the long run. We happen to use Epic and that's all I've ever known. So I can't really speak to other EMRs, but Epic's pretty great for being able to build your notes and order sets and preference lists all in such a way that you can get through most of your common workflows super fast. Tip number five, find out if there's an opportunity for efficiency training. If there is, take it. At my institution, we offer an internal course that we call EPIC 201, where experienced clinicians can come and learn some efficiency tips. We run it by teaching a few skills and then breaking to spend a few minutes having the folks actually put them to work, and then we teach some more. They leave that class with their new tools all built and ready to go exactly how they like them. Using Epic as an example again, Epic as a company offers end user efficiency classes called Power User. They're free and they're very high yield. Now your own IT folks may have to authorize it, but they do exist. Ask around and see what's available for you. And number six, make it a game. Give yourself some sort of internal deadline and then meet it. I have a deal with myself that I always close the charts for return OB and annual exam visits before I go on to see the next patient. Because for those visit types, I have my charting and ordering workflow so streamlined that the work is all but done when I'm walking out of the exam room. All I have to do is fill in my physical exam findings. Most of the orders are done before I go in the room because they're fairly predictable visits. If there are new orders that I decide I need after my discussion with a patient, I'm doing those as we're talking. Again, this is, I don't want to forget anything. It's important to me that I take care of this now. So all I have to do is write up the exam and any new plans and it's done. And it's done way better than I could have done if I waited until later. Now, since I have this challenge for myself, I get a little bit of a dopamine hit every time I look at my schedule and see all of those closed charts as the day goes on. But you could even bribe yourself. Is there something you've been wanting to buy? Allow yourself to put away a little bit of money toward it every time you focus on your efficiency and get stuff done promptly. I could go on and on, but that's enough to get started with. Start working on that story your brain wants to tell you about hating charting and see if you can come up with a story that helps you instead of harming you. Be patient with yourself. 
You've probably been thinking this way for years, so it's understandable that your brain's going to keep offering you the old story, especially at first. But the more you work on letting go of that old habit, the easier it will be for you to get out of your own way and just get things done. Thanks again for joining me today. If you're looking for some help letting go of the old story and creating a better one, come visit me at whitecoatlifecoach.com. See you next time. Opinions or views on this podcast or on my website are my own and should not be attributed to my employer.